Hello and welcome to the Root Simple Podcast, the audio companion to the Root Simple blog, where we cover gardening, home economics, and DIY living. This show is hosted by myself, Eric Knudsen, and Kelly Coyne. We are the authors of The Urban Homestead and Making It, Radical Home Ec for a Post-Consumer World. In episode 11, Kelly and I have a conversation about cleaning, long-crowing roosters, and we'll answer a reader question about water storage. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Eric. How's this cleaning thing going? I'm very excited about our new cleaning paradigms. Tell us where you found out about this new cleaning paradigm. <laughs> we, I found it on the internet. Where else? We've tried many cleaning, what do you call cleaning? Regimens. Regimens, plans, uh, resolutions, that kind of thing. Eric and I are, are slobs at heart. You know, our house is not disgusting, but it's rarely clean. It doesn't look like an episode of Hoarders around here, yeah, to be clear. There's no raccoon bodies under the couch or that kind of thing. But, you know, it, you know we half, are not... Half-eaten raccoon half eaten. bodies. <laughs> but it's it's always been a problem. I mean, we've been, we're, we're old and we've been married for a long time and you think we would have figured out some techniques by now and we have not. Cleaning is always a problem. It's like, it's a marriage conflict. It's a source of agitation. It's a constant chore. I to, you know, not to be all gripey, but I, I do have ended up doing most of it over the years and, and it tends to ouch. all fall. I know, ouch, but it's the truth. But we've turned over a new leaf. It Things, tends to accumulate. It accumulates, so that's the and then and Eric, and then there's know, a cry. Someone has to come over to to like tape we, a segment on chickens or something, and then we have to clean up. Yeah, there's a crisis, which is either me like weeping and screaming and running around the house and spending like an entire day cleaning because you know, we're going to have some reporter over or a class well, here or something. Well, of course, several years ago after our first book came out, there was one of my favorite things happened, which was a local news team came here to do a segment on cleaning with uh, natural and materials. Stuff. And I kind of hit it off with the producer and she and I were were laughing quite a bit when we watched you being taped cleaning the toilet. Yeah, that was my first my first appearance on television was scrubbing a toilet. I mean, this is not what I went to college for. This is not, you know, this is not my dream. <laughs> it was, but you it do was it, awful. You do it well. I do it so well, honey. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, so our cleaning tended to break down into crisis cleaning, which is no way to live. So it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And then there's a crisis and, and then I'm crying and I'm bitching at Eric and I usually, you know, whip him into helping a little bit. And, and then it looks really nice for a day and then it all goes downhill again. And I've known forever that we need a cleaning schedule, but we've never, ever been able to follow one. I, I mean, I don't know how many things I've taped to the fridge over the years and it's never worked. And I want to say that this time it's going to work. And this time what we're doing is a, is something I found on the internet. So I found it how on does a, it work? I found it on Apartment Therapy. Apartment Therapy, a it's, very popular blog. Yes. We like apartment therapy. And it's called How to Clean Your House in 20 Minutes a Day for 30 Days. So it's a 30-day schedule with something to do every single day for 20 minutes. And if you keep doing it, your house becomes clean. So if your house is a pit to begin with, it would take 30 days to work through all the dirt. But you know, you sort of improvise. And, and basically, it's a schedule that gets slobby people like us into the habit of daily cleaning, which is really the secret of clean people. They clean every day. And you kind of cycle through 
you cycle a through a room a day kind of yeah and... it's like one project a day like the bathroom or the bedroom like surface like sur you know it'll say surface clean the living room you know dust and vacuum something like that and and then five days later you would do the same thing again of course in between we have to um be careful not to clutter up the things that we've cleaned already. But I have found just in the short time we we're doing it that we have been good. And I think this is two things. I mean, I think there is something to be said for outside authority. If I make my own list, for some reason, I'm less likely to follow my own list than I am likely to follow someone else's list. And I don't know why that is, but outside authority often works better than your interior authority. And the second reason is, I think, because we're doing it together. And that's the fun thing is that Eric and I are working side by side, cleaning equality, yay! Which means that that 20 minutes equals 40 minutes in people time. Yeah, it is 40. And I'm hoping it will cut down, but right now the house is dirty, so that 40 minutes is actually about perfect for the tasks that we've been doing so far. And if we get on top of all of this, then we could each work for 10 minutes. But what I like about this, that means that we're both equally invested in the cleaning. And I think that makes us both equally invested in keeping it tidy afterwards. Because it's not just, if I clean everything myself, I'm somewhat bitter. And also I, sometimes I get a depressed, why bother kind of idea. And, and, and if I see like Eric's left the kitchen untidy, I'll just throw some dishes down and add to the untidiness. But now I know that Eric has worked hard on cleaning something. So I'll be more likely to not want to ruin his hard work. And I think equally, he feels the same, vice versa. So we don't want to step on each other's hard work. So we've both been really good about you know, doing our dishes immediately, putting away our junk. I should step back and say that the, uh, there's some premises that go with the 30-day list of activities, which, which are important for just general organization. One is that you have to establish a landing strip which is something the cleaning cognoscenti tend to talk about That's a lot. That's kind of an inbox. It's like an inbox. It's like an area where when one comes in the house, one organizes and takes off all the things that you bring from the outside world. So it's a place to sort the mail. The mail is assorted immediately. A place to hang the coats, a place to put the shoes, a place to put the phone and the wallet and the keys so that those things don't pollute the entire house and get all spread around and hard to find and buried under things. So there's a cleaning, a landing strip, and then also they recommend that you're doing your uh, dishes right after you cook. Never let them pile up. And I found that, I mean, that's that's kind of like, no, duh, you know, but do we do it? No, no, we don't do it. And I've been really liking having the kitchen counters clean and the sink empty all the time because we don't have much counter space. We have like two and a half feet on either side of the sink, basically to do all of the projects and baking and everything that we do. And having those two work surfaces clean just makes it so much more inviting to start dinner or start a project or something like that. It's It's been really nice. Back to that landing strip, the inbox, one of the problems that a lot of people have with inboxes is that stuff goes in there and then it's never processed. It just sits in there. Is there any direction in this um, internet guide to processing the inbox? No, they don't talk about an inbox. They, for them, the landing strip is not an inbox. A landing strip is a place where things are dealt with immediately. Well, what is it? Keys and wallets and well, things some, like that? What about the mail? The mail is dealt with immediately. Like you go through your mail. What if there's some kind of piece of mail that's a little more involved, a form to fill out or something like that? Well, one, that later? one blog post cannot answer all the questions in your life. Well, I would just point out it's important to have some moment to process the 
inbox yeah well you'll have to strip. i think that's a part of it is that you're going to have to they they did say that you know in addition to the 20 minutes a day cycle you would also schedule in longer projects like this is the day when i wash the dog this is the you know like the the bigger projects and maybe um a mail like a bill sorting day would be part of that one thing i might add to this is apparently a lot of people have multiple inboxes and that can be another problem if you have multiple spots where this stuff piles up it's probably best just to have one yeah anything else in this guidance i mean my concern was well if you only clean the bathroom once every you know 30 days but that's not how it works no it it cycles so probably we're cleaning the bathroom every five days or so every four or five days and the same for the living room kitchen bedroom office they all cycle and then there's there's surface clean days and there's deep clean days where it's like today you're going to get down and you're going to you know organize the drawers or you're going to scrub underneath the tub or, or whatever how often does the deep cleaning session happen i don't know exactly just every once in a while you're asking questions that are too hard. These are too hard. Well, it does seem to be working. I have to say that. How do you feel about it? I feel pretty good about it because it seems easier to do 20 minutes a day rather than two hours. The two hours of hysterical. Weeks or... It's not two hours. It's all day with your wife yelling and screaming exactly. to like don't a want that. PMS harpy. It's, it's terrible. PMS harpy. <laughs> <laughs> which is my usual state. <laughs> oh my God. On that note, um, anything else? You I just want to say it? it was fun. I mean, today we, we cleaned the bathroom together and it really needed a cleaning. So it took, it took, you know, it was like a full, it was 20 minutes each for each of us, 40 minutes to get it done, which is a lot for a single bathroom, but you know, the cat boxes are in there and we hadn't, I hadn't, uh, cleaned for a while and I had to do some training with Eric to um, show him how some products work and how how you get the grit out of the sink and things like that. But I had fun, you know, and it was it was funny. It, was it kind wasn't of, bad. It was difficult for both of us to be stepping on each other in the bathroom. But how did you feel about your bathroom cleaning? It, was, it, it worked. It's sparkling. It's sparkling. You, I, could, I, you could eat off of my it. My favorite moment was when Eric, um, after I showed him how to scrub the sink with baking soda and then rinse it, then do a vinegar second, you know, process, he was like... <gasps> It's really clean. It's like he'd never seen the effects of his own cleaning before, and he did. It was like a it was like a learning moment. It was beautiful. Then I discovered a secret hidey hole where Kelly had been storing up junk. You don't need to talk about what happened bathtub. on behind the clawfoot bathtub. You jar. don't. This is this is some kind of revenge, and you don't need to talk about the old mop and the jar of turpentine and the old shower curtain behind the clawfoot bathtub. It's not hidden. It was hidden. You know when you know you're really asking for it now. When somebody is given the sole job of doing all the cleaning in the house, sometimes things slack. Well, it's it's been cleaned up now. Now actually. it's clean. It's all nice and clean. Eric was like a righteous angel after 15 years, <laughs> flying, swooping in and cleaning behind the bathtub. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, I think we'll move on to our next topic, which is long crowing roosters. This is a favorite topic of Eric's. I thought since this is a audio podcast, we needed to do a segment on something that's audio specific. And I had to reach back to 2009 to find a blog post that we did on the subject of long crowing roosters. Believe it or not, there is such a thing. People breed roosters to crow for an extremely long period of time. And I thought we could play some examples of that 
Now, in the original blog post, I found uh, some comments by Gail Damero, who is a poultry expert and writes for, what is that, Backyard Poultry Magazine. And she traces the long-growing rooster to Japan. Most of the examples that I've found on the interwebs, specifically through YouTube, the roosters were coming from the Kosovo area. And according to a Wikipedia article uh, in the Albanian language, this particular breed that I that I found on, on YouTube is called the Rooster of Drenica. And since that point, the this particular breed has been exported around the world. Uh, not to Los Angeles that I know of, thankfully. However, I, I thought I would back up and talk about our experience with roosters, which is very limited, limited actually to one evening. And there was a day when our neighbor, Anne, who is into gardening and all kinds of stuff that we're into and, and had chickens at the time. But Anne only has little chickens, I should add. Anne only banties. has, she had banties. I think, didn't she have some regular ones? Anyway, no. she also is, is where our cats come from. And she lives south of Sunset, which is a bit of a loose rooster neighborhood occasionally, particularly uh, the street up from her, Mer Merwin Street, which I always think of as Merlin Street, but it's not, not named after the wizard. It's some kind of weird, it's Merwin, and there's, there's loose roosters there. And one day she came over to the house with this rooster and said, oh, we had to, we had to take it. And I said, no way are we taking a rooster here because we have neighbors who get up early and work and we get up early and work and we i did not want to get up at three thirty in the morning with a rooster crowing our neighborhood has gentrified so much since we moved in that it's no longer a rooster neighborhood so we would get into trouble and i you know again i didn't really want a rooster anyways kelly by the way said sure let's take well, the rooster you know why i said sure why did you why did you take this this little, it was a banty rooster it was a little banty tiny rooster. banty rooster it was because our hens are laying hens most of them had died we lost you some of you might remember that oh, we, we were lost, down to one hand we lost point. a bunch sort of in a row they all i i don't know it was a hard summer they were pretty old they all passed on and it left one handsome who passed on just recently, but she lived, what, two, three? Wait, when, when was this? this she was, lived a long time past her, like three time. years at least past her sisters because she never laid. She's always been a freeloader, but she was very good looking, which is why she was named Handsome. But at any rate, Handsome was alone, and Handsome was very, very lonely. Chickens should not ever be alone. And I had been Handsome's main companion. I would go out to work in the garden and I would let her out of the coop and she would just follow me around. She was so sad. And if I went into the house and left her out, she would stand by the back door, which is glass and look in at me longingly. She needed flock so bad. So when Anne came over with this, this little tiny rooster, I thought, well, you know, what could it hurt? You know, she doesn't lay. I don't think breeding's an issue, How, but... Well, the problem was just as I predicted, the banty rooster started crowing at, I think, 3.30 in the morning, something yeah. like that, long before the sun was up. Banties have particularly obnoxious voices. So you would think maybe they would be cute or li little or, you know, like they're so cute. They're like miniature chickens, but banty roosters. Well, oh, I, of course, pulled a sample off of YouTube to, to let everyone know. If you haven't heard a banty rooster before, this is what it sounds like. <laughs> very, very shrill. So I jumped out of bed just imagining all of our neighbors, you know, 
waking up and going, what the? So I ran out, ran out and grabbed him. And I think I brought him inside and stuffed him in a cat cage and put a blanket over him and tried to keep him quiet until a more decent hour of the morning. And then... <laughs> can't stop playing that. That's what it sounded like. And the rooster lasted here one day and went back to Anne. And I think it... I don't know what happened to it after that. No. It found a home on Merwin Street somehow. You know, I, I didn't think I said that we would keep Banty forever. I, I, th- think I said you we did. would. No, I said we would keep him overnight and see what happened. Because I remember now, Anne was saying, "Oh, he doesn't crow much. He won't crow. He won't bother your neighbors." And I said, well, "If he crows, we cannot keep him." And that's what happened. <laughs> Can't stop doing that. Shortly, that's what it sounded like. Shortly thereafter, we got our new flock of hens from Gary and Craig, and then. And then Handsome had companions. So there was a and happy it was all ending. taken care of. Back to the subject of long-crowing roosters. Let's listen to the sound of one of them. I think this is actually from Turkey because these roosters have made it kind of around the Mediterranean. And even according to the Wikipedia article, someone in Sweden is breeding them now. I think this is a Turkish one. Let's Let's have a listen. Now, that actually is short by long long crowing rooster standards. That's a 12-second crow there. Let's listen to one of these Kosovo roosters with a really pretty phenomenal 45-second crow. So get get ready for this. Here it goes. Not making this up. No special effects. No special effects here. This is actually the length of one of these Kosovo roosters. It's not really a crow, though, is it? It's it it's sounds a long like growl. it sounds like the growl that's at the end of a crow. They must have special terms, you know, the breeders who talk about this, because there's like the sustained crow, and then there's the there must be a technical poultry term for it. Yeah. It kind that of was like, that sounded like a there. motor. That was amazing. Crazy. It, it's, a, it's a little bit like, you know, it's this example of how people like to play with things and do crazy things. It, it reminds me actually of, of Cadillac tail fins in the 1950s, how they just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until it's totally impractical. Do you really want one of these long crowing roosters around? What's the practical purpose of it? You must live somewhere far away from other people. <laughs> Can yeah, you imagine having a whole bunch of them, like stra- a whole breeding Strangely stock? enough, the, all the, uh, and I'll put a um, playlist in YouTube so people can see them, but generally there's some, maybe, I don't know, some Albanians, or I don't know where they're from, I don't know, I don't know the language, they're standing around, generally the roosters are in a cage, I don't, and they must have competitions or something for this, knowing, knowing this kind of thing. It, in the one sense, it's kind of ridiculous, but on the other sense, it is this kind of way that human beings play with things and this play sometimes let's face it leads to innovation maybe something <laughs> in the genetics of these roosters is is uh, admirable or useful <laughs> i don't know it reminds me of an anthropology professor of mine who had a theory that the bow as in the bow and arrow began with a musical bow and then evolved so perhaps there'll be some amazing thing that will come out of this strange human experiment
You know what it reminds me of is when you're when you're a kid and you're trying to annoy your parents or your siblings and you and you do that kind of extended like uh no how do you how, I can't even I haven't done it for so many years I can't remember but you make a noise like the rooster growl and then you just carry it on as long as you possibly can did you ever do that when you were Oh, I know what you're talking about. about. Can you do it? Yeah. Well, I I can't do it, but I have another rooster here. Or you just make annoying noises. Here we go. Here's another one. Slightly higher pitched. It's like a buzzsaw. That one. Now, can you imagine living with this? I think people... Well, it's so... Shall I stop like this? I'm going to stop this. It sounds like machinery. It does something. sound like machinery. It sounds like that album Lou Reed did, Metal Machine Music. Did you find that? <laughs> to break his um, contract. Did you find that um, more of them sound like machinery and less of them have the 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 crowing? I think this... Because I'm always impressed by the long crow, the true R, you know, that long note. No, they don't. There were a few that sounded like that. Do they tend to be more, growl, more about the growl? The Kosovo one seemed to have that low growl, which... Maybe it's a style. Someone the did Kosovo something... Kosovo style. Someone in YouTube did something very funny, which was to take the sound of a long crowing rooster and blend in some heavy metal music. Let's listen to that. That's what the interwebs are for. That and that's cute cat stuff. videos. Yeah. I think that's enough on long crowing roosters. I thought we would take our first ever musical break and listen to a song by Charlie Patton, who is known as the father of the Delta Blues. This is a very beautiful song he recorded in 1929 called the Banty Rooster Blues. Perhaps it'll wipe away the sound of that heavy metal rooster. I'm on a Friday, a Friday. Thank you. 
was the Banty Rooster Blues by Charlie Patton. On to the reader question. This week we have a question from Cynthia in Texas about water storage. Cynthia says, please do a podcast on drinking water storage in hot and cold climates, where to store water, appropriate containers, and how to avoid damage to floors if the containers spring a leak, a problem I have had if storing water inside. I am currently storing gallon jugs of water on a shaded patio, but since the temperature outside is about 100 this time of year, I don't think this is an optimal situation. However, a leak inside isn't optimal either. I need some ideas. Well, wow. this is a problem that we have here. We, Of course, we have earthquakes in Los Angeles, so it's always good to have some water on hand uh, for any kind of emergency, really. Anywhere in the world, you could need water, and it's this has been an issue for us too. I think the ideal place to store water is a well, it's a cool, dark place it's for one basement. thing. It's a basement. Oh, I wish we had a basement. But I, we don't I have lust for a basement. We don't have basements in Southern California for whatever reason. That's not an option. And Cynthia may have the same problem where she is too. Definitely, keeping the water outside in a hundred degree heat is not a good idea. Yeah, the plastic, when it gets hot, the warm water and the plastic kind of mix together and it, it leaches plastic chemicals or whatever. I'm so scientific. But basically, I know, you know, it makes the water taste plasticky. And if it tastes plasticky, there is plastic in it and you're ingesting that. Well, you but, you know, wanna... though, I'm not I'm not worried about the plastic. I would be. In an emergency, Well, in an know, emergency, it's better to drink plastic water than to die. It's more that you'd have organisms growing in, yes, in also water. It's, yeah, warm water, it's not good. Um, also, if it's outside, there's much more chance that it's that it's receiving some solar energy solar radiation that's going to make the creatures want to grow well in the cool dark place basically that means if you're in an apartment or if you don't have a basement like we are it's going to be somewhere in your living space more than likely garages may or may not work garages depending on where you are could be very hot or could freeze in places too and that obviously you don't want that either so it's going to be in your household somewhere. It's always good to remember that you do have some water. If you have a uh, access to your water heater, 
there could be quite a few gallons in there. That's good to remember if it's not one of the tankless varieties. And then, of course, the back of your toilet tank, there's a few gallons in there that are perfectly usable as water. But it really gets down to water storage containers of some kind. Um, you know, I, I, one of the things I do is I volunteer for the local extension service as a master food preserver. And we have our kind of the Bible of our program is called the Food Safety Advisor, and it is a publication of Washington State University Extension and the University of Idaho Extension. It is science-based, and there is a section on food and water storage. I thought I would I would read a few paragraphs from it. By the way, this book is free to download, and I will have a link in the show notes on rootsimple.com where you can download a, a a copy of it. It's actually really handy. It has basically how to do every kind of food preservation, plus, again, this, this short chapter on emergency storage. What this book says, uh, to quote, is store at least three gallons of water for each person in the household. Store your water in thoroughly washed plastic containers. Never use a container that has held toxic substances. Plastic containers with a tight-fitting lid, such as soft drink bottles, are the best. You can also purchase food-grade plastic buckets or drums. Seal water containers tightly, label them, and store in a cool, dark place. There we go with the cool, dark place again. Like we all have those. It, well, we, we, we have to make do with what we have, right? Use or throw out the stored water and replace with a fresh supply every six months. Something that I'm going to editorialize. We're kind of bad at. We need to put that on the calendar. You know, there's also there's a, quite a bit of variation about how often you should switch water at different different authorities. will say different things, and I think basically you should check your water every six months. Well, I'm going to go with the you know what this the six nice months thing is of, the least amount of time that I've ever seen anybody say. So the nice thing though, again, this this the information in this publication is tested in a lab. I, I trust it, and if you go with it, you're not going to. You know, you're not going to have a problem. Yeah, and I'm not saying that six months. I'm saying six months is you don't need to do it more often than six months. Um, if you're doing it every six months, you're being really good. To get back to the food safety advisor, it continues to prepare containers for water storage, either wash in dishwasher or wash thoroughly by hand in soapy water and rinse well to remove all traces of soap. Do not reuse plastic jugs that contain milk, food, or household chemicals because it may not be possible to remove all traces of food or chemical from the plastic. If you have freezer space, this is a really this is a really mm-hmm. good idea by the really good tip. If you have freezer space, some of the drinking water can be frozen. If electricity is lost, the ice will increase the time that food stay frozen in the freezer. When the ice melts, it is available for drinking water. If you use tap water that is chemically treated by a commercial water utility company, for instance, do not add bleach or other agents to the water unless directed to do so by the local Department of Health. Now, that's the that's the word from the Food Safety Advisor. Do you have any ideas, Kelly, about the type of water container people should use for storing water? Do you mean a new containers or reused containers? I guess there's both. Let's start with the new containers. Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, if you want to invest in new stuff, the easiest thing to do is just to buy water from the store in bottles. You know, it's clean, it's ready to go, it's got an expiration date on it, and then you just rotate it with the expiration date. So that's very easy. 
But there are also the bigger. Well, well you more, can reuse those bottles, and you too. can reuse them after they expire. Yeah, you can you can water your garden with them, or wash your dog, or something, and then you um, refill them. And I know people are concerned about plastic. I'm not a huge fan of of those kinds of bottles, but. Again, we're talking about emergencies here, and I'm not going to worry too much about chemicals in an emergency. Hopefully, this is obviously a short period of time. We're, we're bridging with this water. It's not like the road or something like that. <laughs> you should use PET plastic or PETE, which is what those water bottles are made out of. You the, can also buy uh, sturdy, big jug-like bottles at camping supply stores and surplus army store. surplus stores. There's, a, there's one that I have in our garage I kind of like. It's, I think it's either three or five gallons, and it's it's kind of flat and easily stored. You could put it in a in the corner of a closet or something like that. And I know Cynthia was concerned about leaking. This is a pretty sturdy container. Those, it's those not heavy likely, plastic yeah, containers. Yeah, it's not likely to spring a leak. I would say specifically in terms of her leak question, it's very hard. If you have to put your water in the house because you don't have a basement or a cool garage like us, then I think maybe the best way, well, two things, two, two ways to deal with that. One is, is frequently checking the water. So if you're checking it every six months, I mean, making sure that it's, that it's lined up correctly on those shelves, that nothing is putting pressure on it, that there's nothing sharp near it, nothing warm near it, like a heater or something like that, that would compromise the plastic. That would be one thing, just vigilance. And then the second thing would be perhaps to use smaller containers so that if there is a failure, there's not as much spillage. So a lot of people use soda bottles, the, the two liter or the half gallon or whatever they are, soda bottles. Uh, I think that's a great idea. Those have to be washed out well to get all traces of soda out of them. Well, but you know they've what got you should good do, caps. actually, is get club soda, <laughs> and right? Because we don't want to store be, the club soda. Yeah, we don't want to be drinking soda And then anyways. you can have it's gin and tonics sugar. when the... Um, you get tonic water, and then you have well, gin and tonics. Well, then you tonics. have the sugar in it, though. Oh. I'm thinking club soda. Club so soda. So then you have vodka and soda, so you have yeah, vodka and soda like or whiskey when the Armageddon begins. Uh, but, yeah, soda bottles. So then you don't lose any more than, like, say, two liters of, of water at a time. That's that's possible. And also those are – they're not as space efficient, but they're lighter. So, you know, they're easier for you to – take down from high shelves or if you have any mobility impairment or whatever that it's a lot easier to use small bottles than like a giant honking five gallon water container some people spring for 55 gallon drums and one thing about being in los angeles is it's the land of plentiful 55 gallon drums however one of the issues with that is getting used ones there are food grade used ones out there and i see them on craigslist all the time for, you know, usually they contain pickles or something like that. I'm still a little, I always feel a little weird about that. I never know exactly where they came from or what was in them. In this case, I think I might spring for a new one, and I can't remember how much they cost, but they're not that expensive for a food-grade plastic one. Uh, some people go for the stainless steel drums, but man, are those expensive. Mm. Those are real, real expensive. And I guess if you're you know, you have that basement or somewhere where it's ideal, that might be an option. If you do get a drum of any sort, you need to also think about how you're going to get the water out of the drum. Oh, that's right. The the 55-gallon drums, you can actually get a little attachment thing that's kind of a pump that fits into one of the two bungholes on the top. That That's the sort of plastic drum that we actually have. There's another kind of plastic drum where the entire top screws off, too. There's several different kinds. So when you get the plastic drum, 
you should consider that. And sometimes the places that sell the plastic drums also sell the equipment to pump the water out. One tip on that is if you live in a big city, there's often a, a drum supplier. If you look in sort of the business People still use the Yellow Pages anymore, Kelly? No, they don't. The business section of the Yellow Pages. That's what I used to look them up on. At any rate, there's there's usually... You use Dr. Google these days is what you do and find the uh, drum supplier. Sometimes surplus stores also have food-grade new plastic 55-gallon drums. Uh, I've noticed they're a bit more expensive than the drum supplier, though. If you were in a bargain shop, you might want to find that drum supplier. Any other thoughts on water, Kelly? Do we need to uh, maybe talk about how much water you do need to store? The food safety advisor says three gallons per person. That I don't seems, know. That's an odd. Seems a little low that, to me. Well, that's odd. Like for, you know, the the way you figure it out is it's a gallon a day per person, and that just for drinking. That's not bathing. Not bathing and etc. So uh, it. If it's hot outside, uh, you can go through a gallon of water a day per person, per adult. So that's that's the minimum. So you set that up. So one gallon per day per person in your household. And you remember your pets as well and sort of similar amounts. And then you start thinking about, well, how clean are we going to be? And how long is the emergency going to last? And so you know, you don't know how long you may have a water outage for. It's usually, hopefully, not for more than two or three days, which like for us... I think us, that's their assumption. It's, it's a three-day... We have it. We have three-day emergencies. Yeah, we only have three-day emergencies. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so you, you just work it out that way. And if you want more water for bathing um, and dishes and, you know, even emergency care like wound care or whatever, then you add more to the, to the factor. So for our household, for between the chickens and the three cats and the two of us, I would want maybe four gallons a day just for drinking and then uh, more for cleaning. So I would, I don't know, five gallons a day, f- a ration. That's not comfortable, but five gallons a day. Um, five gallons total, you mean? Total for our household a day. A day. Wow. We need to, we're, we're a little, we've been slacking off on this a little bit. We need to clean out that drum for one thing. And find a better place for it, I think, too. Yeah, we didn't talk about our, our drum. We, I, I well, wanted... this, is, this is a problem. It's probably what Cynthia is having this problem. I'm, I'm assuming she has limited space in her house and can't fit the water inside. One of the things that I wanted to do for our second book, Making It, was come up with emergency storage furniture, which was a project I never completed. But I imagined in my mind like a coffee table full of water and beans <laughs> Just... somehow disaster waiting to happen. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I, but to, so to sum I, it up for poor Cynthia, though, I think she needs to move the water inside somehow and maybe get one of those flat kind of storing containers at the surplus store, tuck it in somewhere, or just a shelf of soda bottles in the pantry if she has a room. I but, think it's a matter of tucking a little water in a lot of different places, like wherever you can fit a, a, a water, just tuck it in there. But definitely not outdoors in Texas, it sounds yeah. like. Well, our barrel outside, I, I insisted that we get a 55-gallon barrel for water because I was very paranoid. I still am. I'm continually paranoid about earthquakes and emergencies. And we got the barrel, but we didn't have anywhere to put it inside or in a garage or anything. So it it is actually in the backyard behind a shed in perpetual shade and then covered with a tarp, but it's still not good. It's not good that it's out there. And the other thing that's not good is that we didn't change the water often enough. So now it's gross and we have to clean it all out. 
because we screwed up. Yet another chore for me to do. <laughs> Yet another chore. All right. Well, I think that's it for this episode of the podcast, unless you had anything more to say, Kelly. Mm, don't think so on the water storage. We'll have to revisit that topic, perhaps on the blog at some point. Well, we'd like your questions. So to leave a question for the Root Simple podcast, you can call us at area code 213-537-2591. I love those questions that are left on the uh, question line. Or you can send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are Root Simple on Twitter. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment for us in the iTunes store. We're also on Stitcher. And you can support the Root Simple podcast by buying a copy of one of our books through the Amazon links on our website. Our theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Additional music by Roe. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Thank you.